0: I'd like to welcome all of our listeners to Beauty is Eternal the art of being your best self for women where we go in-depth and under the skin of experts today's episode is called Germany's top Chinese journalist Chen Sun collectivism versus individualism FIFA and the wisdom of the goat China is a country with a storied history Fascinating to the rest of the world. With a population of more than 1.3 billion people, over 18% of the people in the world right now are Chinese, with Mandarin being the most spoken language in the world. There are thousands of characters used in writing Chinese, and the history of the people spans thousands of years and dozens of dynasties. Well, we could spend a year discussing the history of the country, Today we are going to focus on modern China and media, and specifically on a woman who has become China's most important journalist in Germany. Chen Sun was born in Taiyun in 1988, and has spent the last nine years living in Germany. She studied sports journalism in Beijing, and did a master's in global studies in Leipzig, and has been working in media for the last six years, reporting all over the globe. She can film, Edit, present, she can do it all. She currently works as the German correspondent for Phoenix TV and most recently worked for FIFA Women's World Cup covering the Chinese national team. We have a few topics we want to cover with her today. What was it like to get chosen to work for FIFA? How did it feel to transition from a collectivistic to an individualistic society and which does she like better? How is dating in Germany versus China? What have both a goat and Eckhart Tolle taught her about life? Let's find out now. Thank you so much for being my guest today, Chen. I'm so excited to have you here. The pleasure is also mine. Aww. (laughs) So the first thing I want to do is I know you're really into adventure. Can you share with us a recent anecdote about one of your adventures
1: around the world? I think the most, uh, the most recent one is actually, I was with you, so you're part of the adventure, and you actually captured it with your, your camera and your phone when I was walking the goat. And this goat belongs to this old, I think, 70 year old Italian man who lives in the mountains. And he has been living in the Alps for more than 30 years. And because he thinks that he learns the most from the goat that he's having, and he learns the most about this world and consciousness, his philosophical understanding comes from the moment that he spends with the nature. And he's also a very strong communist, and he's a painter. So we visited him up in the mountain, and we talked about philosophy for about an hour and he explained me about Taoism and the importance of emptiness and all this that he actually learned from the goat. We actually also drink the milk, the goat milk directly squeezed or directly milked from the goat that he has. So I think it was a quite interesting experience recently. What did that milk taste like? It tastes like a vanilla ice cream, really. I did not expect that at all, because I don't like goat cheese. It has a very strong taste, so I always thought, okay, I'm not gonna like goat milk. And somebody actually once passed me a small test sample in the supermarket of a goat milk. I almost vomited. So I was kind of a little bit rejecting it. I was like, oh no, but it's the fresh goat milk. You have tried it. So I tried it, but it actually tastes like vanilla ice cream. And, um, but Egon told us, so the old man, he told us that when you let the milk sit for a little bit and the next day, or even just after a couple hours, then you will really have this very strong goat smell. I
0: agree. The milk was also very creamy, mm-hmm. very rich. It wasn't bitter. And did you personally learn anything from your time
1: with the goats? Mm-hmm. Honestly, it's too short. <laughs> <laughs> I was walking the goat, and uh, but the, but as you and some other friends rightfully put it, I think the goat was walking me. I was just being dragged by the milk by the goat, Um not the milk. <laughs> I was personally <laughs> dragged by the goat. But I think I can because I actually read his book a little bit before I went to meet him, and I kind of reflected on what he wrote in the book about animals who are the ones really living the moment they don't have a plan for the future they don't settle only on the past but they're actually focusing on the moment so from this point of view we really don't know if human are actually more advanced this species or actually the animals who live in the nature and connected to the nature and actually they are the one who knows the nature of the nature a lot better than human being
0: that's very interesting. It reminds me of what Nietzsche says, the German philosopher, that there is more wisdom in your body than in your deepest philosophy.
1: <laughs> Funny. I think also Descartes said that the moment you start to think, that where you start to exist. But I think he wants to put it in a positive way. But I think here, if we will learn something from the goat, that it's not necessarily always uh, a good thing, right? As what the Nietzsche says, that the more... Or put it in a simple human words, is don't overthink.
0: Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm going to include in the show notes a picture of Chen being walked
1: by the goat. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they would love to say that.
0: <laughs> now I want to go back to the beginning a little bit, the beginning of your life. It's really interesting for the Western audience to hear about China and what it's like to grow up in China, because we have, from what I understand, a very different experience. Can you tell me a little bit about what your family was like?
1: So one thing notable about our generation in China is we are the generation of only child. So I'm also the only child of my family. So I didn't grow up with siblings, and it's a relatively small family, just my dad, my mom, and me. And both of them work as a civil servants. And my dad used to be in the military. So I grew up a little bit in the military yard where, you know, the soldiers walking around. So because I don't have siblings, so I'm really close with my cousins. We, um, we would always play together. We spend a lot of time together with each other.
0: Are most of your cousins also only children?
1: Yeah, a lot of them also only children. And some of them have siblings because also... Like, the the regulation is a bit different if you are from a different area. Um, For example, if you are from a different ethnic group, or if you're divorced and then, you know, you're sort of like a reunited family, then you will have siblings. But most of them are, yeah.
0: The reason that they're mostly only children is because it was a government regulation that families were just supposed to have one child?
1: Yeah, that's because of the the one-child policy.
0: And what was your neighborhood like when you were growing up?
1: Um, Back then, so we still, when I I was born, and what's the time when China was opening up and then the way the society was organized was in transition. It was transition from planned economy to a market economy. Planned economy, a bit like what's going on right now in North Korea, where there's no private company and all the organizations, so-called organizations or companies, they all belong to the government and how the way that the city and how the way that for example different life circles always also organized according to where you work that's why I also always grow up either in where my father works or I grew up in the neighborhood where my mother works and the so-called neighborhood is also a collection of buildings all belongs to the company or the organization I mom, my mom worked for and all my that means all my neighbors are also my mom's colleagues so all
0: of your friends growing up were the children of your parents' colleagues,
1: more or less. Exactly. So we do have, so we do all know, we all know each other. My mom knows the neighbor next door, which unit they works for. And uh, we all connected in a way, not only just so we're neighbors, but also because from the point of view that they all work together.
0: So do you think that this affected your friendships, your early friendships, because all your parents knew each other? You were all one child and all your parents knew each other. It's very interesting, it's very different from in America where you grow up in a neighborhood and sometimes your parents know each other, sometimes they don't. People with just one child were pretty rare when I was growing up, so most people had siblings. That's so different.
1: And definitely does. And actually, right now the society, the way how society organized, also changes a lot. So if I compare with the kids growing up nowadays, it's a bit similar. As for example, I can imagine your US or in Europe, you no? Know, so you don't have much contacts to your neighbors, etc. I grew up in this community basically. If you can imagine, right? Like I would go to um, my neighbors for dinner, and. Um, if we have visitors I would actually sleep on the bed of my neighbors and we grow up as a big a bit like this is a really an way of organizing society basically during my childhood I grew up in um, this very big community like a very big family I would have dinner at the next-door neighbor and when our family have visitors I would sleep on the bed of my neighbor it's a very collective experience which is in a way, the essence reflect the communism nature back then in China. And that means also I constantly have companies, always, when I grow up, No, When my mom's not there, when my dad is not there, my neighbor will be there, and my cousin will be there, my grandma will be there. And it's also still the same that how Chinese normally perceive the world is you're always in one certain kind of organization. You always have a company. And here is very, very individualistic. And I think if it does impact my life, will be the transition. I think will be harder for me, and also more intense for me, not necessarily always hard, but more interesting to go from such a collective society into such an individualistic society. And it, in, it actually impacts not just the way of work, also the way of life and how I view friendship, et cetera. When you moved from China to
0: Europe, you actually had to make that transition from growing up in sort of a collective community with a familial feeling to going to individualized Europe. Did you do a lot of sports, a lot of music growing up in your community? What type of recreational activities did you engage in?
1: And grandpa is a bunch of boys, (laughs) a lot of boys actually. Until today, especially back then, it's a very patriotic society in China and girls have certain things that you should do and you should not do and i wasn't always the one who follows the rules that set by the society she's the still
0: not the one who follows the rules
1: <laughs> for the record <laughs> so when they told me oh you have to play with barbies and i was like no i'm going to play football with my neighbor kids <laughs> So I played a lot of sports while I'm growing up and uh, whatever is popular by then. And we sort of play different sports, take, ter- take turns to play different sports, like basketball and football, badminton, skating, all of them. And music, yes, movies, yes. So all of this kind of a common recreational activities so that we all do them. But interesting is that China is such a big market itself. We have so many of our national celebrities so we don't really have so much of a context with what's going on outside. And until I came here, we realized, okay, what kind of a gap, information gap that I have with all my friends. I don't even know who Abba is. <laughs> Imagine that. And I really have to pick. This is also one of the things that I have to learn. Like It's my knowledge gap in a way. I did a music quiz for example in china i would be very good but i suck at music quiz here because i don't know any of the song i don't know any of the stars and uh, that's also um hard to blend in if you want to but i think right now after you know 10 years of clubbing i think <laughs> i probably catch up or you them. can blend it on a dance floor <laughs> no no i can blend in the dance floor and then disappearing the electronic music here in berlin Yeah. <laughs>
0: at what age did you start going to school what's the schooling system like in china
1: i went to school at six and most people start school at seven so i started one year earlier than most people and um, in my province because china is quite huge and we have slight variations in several in each province a bit like here in germany um, the school system or like the way how school is constructed is slightly different in Every state for me it was six years of primary school, three years of middle school, and three years of high school. And then after three years of high school, you go to university. But only actually there are several selections. So after you graduate from primary school, you have to make sure you go to a good middle school. And from there on, if you're really not good at studying, or follow this traditional path, then you will go to a specialized school for example then you become a nurse or you become a policeman you become a worker if you can't go to a high school and after high school you will take uh, the national entrance exam which arguably is the most difficult entrance exam that anybody can take uh, in the world i think wow and then only after that then you will be able to get into universities So you go
0: through 12 years of schooling, three testing systems where they differentiate you after that, depending on your abilities. Wow, that sounds like a pretty tough schooling system. How intensive was the school on a day-to-day basis? How many days a week did you go to school? How many hours did it last?
1: Again, I can only talk about from my experience because some areas are even more tense and some are a bit more relaxed mine was and also the the 12 years are not the same so primary school is always a bit easier and the hardest is always the high school because you're really preparing yourself for the ultimate exam that decides your fate it was really intense you woke up early in the morning at 6 30 then you go to school already and then you stay there until lunchtime. good is that we have we do have a, a quite long lunch break so you can take a nap and have a system because after the nap you have to go all the way until about nine or ten o'clock in the school and when you return from the school you don't go to sleep right away because you have homework to do you also want to strengthen your subjects because in order to pass the exam or have the highest score possible you have to be very balanced you can't be just good at one subject you have to be good at all the subjects that you're gonna it will be included in the exam Um. so you want to use some time after the school to strengthen your weak subjects so you go to bed about 12 11 and sometimes one o'clock and then again Especially for the last year, we don't really have weekends. You have one day off or half a day off. All the other time, you're still studying and you're concentrating on it. So sometimes when my friends will say, oh, I worked in a bar when I was back in high school. In China." no way. Doesn't matter how smart you are. Doesn't matter how hard. Like, you just have to be hardworking. You have to be smart and hardworking in order to really get to the top school.
0: That sounds really intense. And I know from knowing you that you did quite well in school and you were able to get to the top of your class and you were able to go to a good university. And that was through a combination of working really
1: hard and being very intelligent to start with. (laughs) Honestly, also, we're talking about different type of intelligence, right? Unfortunately, I don't think the Chinese school system reflected different type of intelligence. What type of intelligence would that be? I think the chinese school system requires a lot of remembering stuff you really have to remember a lot of facts a lot of formulas even though you're studying nature science you should be able to remember a lot of things awful lot of things but also it put a lot of emphasis as well on analytical skills which is quite good because then you really have to get at um, mathematic problems you know trains your mind to think analytically but for example, it would never include leadership. It doesn't include how diverse you are as a person. It doesn't really reflect your hobbies. It doesn't reflect how strong sometimes this person is in dealing with crisis, etc. So it's not a very over, very comprehensive evaluation system in the end. But still, it's one of the very, the most fair system because the grades of the National Entrance Exam determines you're going to university or not, or what university you're going to. It's not like
0: who you know can help you. It's not that type of system where connections help.
1: I mean, of course, connections always help in the ultimate form. You know, if you're, I don't know, the daughter of the president, of course you get to go to university. (laughs) But still, it eliminated this factor, the human factor, to the minimum. That is very fair, actually. It is very fair. So if you fail the exam... Well, sorry, but then imagine the tremendous pressure put on the teenagers, which is 18, 17 years old when they take the exam, is you go through the three, two-day exam, and then nothing else counts. You know, you can be on top of your class throughout your whole s- study, and then you fail that exam, and then, you know, bam, that's it. That's a That's a hard hit on the rest of your life, then. You have the chance to take it again. Actually, I did it. I did it. I took it again because my first time didn't reflect how good I was in school because I was in a crisis when I was a teenager. I don't normally, I don't even remember what, but it's a lot of pressure. And uh, unfortunately, like, literally just one time. So I had to basically go through the whole year. I have to go through hell one more time, you know, to do that. And wow. that's even more pressure, right?
0: And it worked for you the second time. Though. Yeah, You were able to get mm-hmm. a grade
1: reflective of your prior studies? Honestly still not the best, not the didn't reflect my top scores I would have to say, but a a lot better already, so let's say 80 percent, yes. So you were able to go to a good
0: university, you were happy with that? Yeah. And you went on to study sports journalism. How did it happen that someone who is very good at natural sciences like you ended up specializing in something that is what's a very special type of career, but it's not exactly what you would expect from someone who was really good in biology, for instance. How did that happen?
1: So I, I studied something very specific, sports journalism. My best subject back then in the school was biology, Chinese, and English. So I consulted different people, including my parents, my friends, and then some other older friends. And they all said that your strength is language skills and communication skills and you're very outgoing. If you study biology, you might not be able to utilize all these strengths. And I do like journalism a lot. I like writing. I like expressing myself. And I like a different format of storytelling, basically. And also, I do love sports back then. And sports journalism was a very trendy subject back then. Only a few universities has it. So I think that's why I decided on sports journalism at the end.
0: And it's not that you only previously loved sports, you still love it.
1: <laughs> That's true.
0: You just told me before we started recording this that you're planning on getting your basketball coaching license over the weekend.
1: Yeah, I think sports is very important. And uh, especially after studying in a sports university, I realized that because people always have this stereotype that athletes or people who do sports is this very big and uh, dumb dumb people and that's very wrong because being able to be good at especially at top of the field of a sports there's a lot of intelligence required so much intelligence and especially growing up in china that we really don't have this respect for sports of course people pretend that the olympic champions are very important and then sports is related to its national prize so on and so forth but they don't have this ultimate respect for sports sports is actually such an important component of life and it should be the same this way for everybody like i don't believe that people can be separated into people oh i'm just into books i'm not into sports i think sport is the way how you actually can directly connect with your body so it's one the ultimate way to connect your body with your mind For me, sports has been always a very important instrument to bring me into peace and bring me happiness. People have to find their own sports. Like, I love basketball, but not everybody loves basketball, that I admit. But then, you know, go try hiking, try bouldering, try yoga, Pilates, swimming. I think everybody can find one and should have one, and then they should practice throughout life.
0: That reminds me of what we were talking about earlier about how Egon was saying the goat is doing it right because the goat just is and the goat just does. When you're very busily engaged in a sport or an activity that's taking all of your focus, you're not reflecting at the same time. You truly become one with yourself and one in the doing. It's sort of like bringing ourselves back to our true nature in some way.
1: Definitely. And the sports is something very interesting, in the sense of, you know, in life, there are so many things you can't control. And you would like to try hard, but not always when you try, something works out. Sometimes and that's, when you let go, it works out. Exactly. And that's very frustrating. It's <laughs> a very frustrating thought that we have to cope with all this change and, and all this feeling of feeling powerless. Of course, the ultimate solution will be you don't have this strong desire, you know, and then you're coming to this realization that everything is the way it is. But it's not always easy. But sports is something when you do it, it reflects real time almost when you want to run then run faster then you do go faster. <laughs> no when you really want to reach for the ball you jump a little bit higher, push yourself and you you can get the ball so this kind of instinct reflection of your efforts definitely gives at least me a very strong satisfaction. me as well exercise is
0: one of the most calming, relaxing, and healthy things that I feel that I can do. I think people who don't engage in any type of sport, they could really benefit from doing more activities. I agree. Let's talk a little bit about why you came to Germany of all places. How is it that a girl from China, very strong in biology and languages, decides to study sports journalism and makes her way to Germany?
1: It was a very pragmatic choice back then, actually. During my bachelor studies, I had an exchange semester in US. I did like it a lot. I improved my English, and it was the first time I'm ever abroad. But it also made me realize that, okay, um, I'm not sure I'm completely into this campus culture, which is uh, the style of most American universities. And also a lot of uh, universities in a very small town. And you don't have much contact with it, with the real world. And um, but German universities are very different. They're scattered in the city, and you're part of the city, and you really get in touch with the real life in a way, not just locked up in a campus. That's one thing. And the other thing is, I really want to learn a different language other than just English. And so I had a look at different language options: you no know, French, Spanish, German, the big ones. And uh, Germany, I think had. Back then, the statistics shows there's a biggest deficit of Chinese and German-speaking talents.
0: That is a very practical that, that reason. Very
1: practical. <laughs> and also if you look at the countries now, which country has a better education system? And I do think that Germany has a better education system compared to France and uh, Spain. That's why I chose Germany to study back then. <laughs>
0: And so you came to Germany expecting to go to a campus that was not totally a campus, that was part of a city. Did Germany meet your expectations? Do you think the impression you had of Germany before you came was accurate to what you experienced when you came?
1: My experience is a bit different than a lot of students probably came to Germany to study. As I've described it before, China is such a collective society and Germany is on the opposite of the spectrum. I think maybe rather, uh, other than Scandinavian countries, Germany is one of the most most self-sufficient nations. means Germans can do anything by themselves. They're very autonomous, very independent. Very independent from each other and from the environment itself. And uh, so a lot of, for example, my friends telling me that the start of their study abroad is very lonely because they have to deal with everything by themselves. Which is fine if you're a German, but if you're a Chinese who grew up always in groups, it's a very hard test. But I, the program I chose is an international program, and it's quite special. It's called Global Studies, which is a bit of everything and a bit of nothing. But the special part of that program is we have all my classmates are from different countries. And we are all foreigners, just landed in Leipzig, this little town of Germany. And we don't know much about this country. So we held a lot. It, it's like I had an international family, and they are very helpful. They helped me a lot. For example, taking me clubbing and dancing <laughs> and drinking. <laughs> that's a very important part of German culture. <laughs> Getting used to all the different... Um, but that's actually... It, it is... It, it helped me get over the culture difference much faster made me blend in a lot easier for me germany didn't meet my expectations
0: that's because you researched it very thoroughly
1: in advance <laughs> <laughs> yeah so but I, w- I have to say i was lucky and i'm not saying that the whole transition you know having been able to put up with living a sol- uh, living a life just by myself didn't come later it did <laughs> but i think it would have it would have hit me harder if it was the first year of me being abroad
0: i had a similar experience i did my bachelor in america and in america they really hold your hand you have an advisor who checks in on you every month or so to make sure you're doing well with all your courses you have a lot of follow-up and you have a lot of people checking in to make sure things are going as they're supposed to and then i came to germany and did my my master's in berlin you don't have any type of advisor There's nobody there holding your hand. There's nobody there even checking for years to see if you're attending your courses. So you have to be super independent. You have to figure out these are the exams. These are the processes. There's absolutely no hand-holding like there is in the U.S. So that was a bit of a shock for me as well. But it really does teach you to be autonomous and really check things out for yourself. Because if you don't,
1: you're the one who's going to suffer. Definitely. I think ultimately, it made me stronger. All the experiences. I think that's a good, good lesson.
0: You are a very strong person. If
1: Germany's to
0: thank for that. It did
1: a good job. <laughs> thank you.
0: Germany and China together. <laughs>
1: and the transition, I think.
0: And what do you think now that you've gone through this transition? Looking back at China, where you're from, and Germany, where you currently live, what do you think some of the major differences are? between the two countries that people wouldn't necessarily think about if they didn't know? Because obviously, okay, you think China and Germany, you know, different flags, different food, but what are some of the more subtle differences that you've experienced?
1: I think the most important differences to me that we kind of touched upon a lot already is this difference of a collective society and individual society. And that already, um, We talked about the impact on people's life and how you have to be stronger here in Germany etc and uh, a lot of people think it's and also it's connected with the political system which is obvious in one hand and then on the other hand also reflected on people's state of mind in a way how they deal with things and how they approach things and how the society is organized so everything is the difference is so obvious and so subtle and there was every it's in every part of the society and the daily life
0: so you mean it's at the roots these political differences are at the roots and they just manifest in lots of different ways because they're so fundamental to how the societies are built
1: yeah bit of chicken and egg discussion yeah. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in a way of um, you don't really know it's the political decided how how the society was organized or the other way around because the history because of most of things that how the society manifests is through that i think people generally want to choose side or they want to give it a statement which one is good and which one is not and i think leave it through two different societies I can definitely say that there are good things about one and there are bad things about the other, for sure. Here is very free, especially Berlin. I think it's arguably the freest city of the entire world. You can be whoever you want to be. You can do whatever you want to do. Well, within the legal boundary, <laughs> of course. And nobody's being judgmental of who you want to become, which is very liberating, especially from such a different society in China. You know, it's not just the political system. It's also such a strong country carries so many rules, especially on women. But at the same time, we always have to think that freedom, to put it in a not very nice sounding sentence, is that you have nothing to lose, which means you don't have much, <laughs> right? Which means you're so self-dependent, you don't depend on others. It means you have a very loose relationship with. Everything around you. That means the whole society is cold. Are the- you
0: saying German society has so much freedom
1: <laughs> no, 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 no. that it's cold? <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. I know like, it doesn't seem so logical, but that I think that's that's what it is. Funny that the more you bother each other, the stronger bond people have. And here, nobody bothers other people. Of course, you have a relationship. If three, things are too difficult, people just pull away from one another. For example, yeah. People don't think it's a responsibility anymore and all that again, good and bad.
0: What about dating in Germany versus dating in China? How is it different romantically in the two places?
1: Mm, It's actually, well, definitely a huge difference. And I think dating alone can be a book, especially in these two different cultures and uh, to make it slightly more condensed. I would say that the view on sex, for example, is very different. How how sexually, how liberating is two different the places are very different, and China is for sure more traditional and conventional when it comes to sex, and also the expectations, um, men and women are very different here. The gender equality discussion is definitely more evolved than in China. But I have to say that Chinese guys are very sweet. If I think back, <laughs> you know, like it comes with this um, discussion again with gender equality you know it's the eternal discussion of do you want men to open the door for you and i think deep down inside sometimes a woman do want that it's not always about i'm a woman i can open my own door but it's also about this needs of wanting to be cared for and i think that never gets old
0: i think there's definitely something to being soft in order to be strong using your feminine strength and letting a man open a door for you hmm, for there's you a know. there's a time and a place for that doesn't have to be every day all day <laughs> but once in a while i think it's also nice yeah
1: and also i think the discussion also has to be based on that we acknowledge this fundamental difference between women and men so in berlin there's quite a culture
0: of partying and there are a lot of people who engage in one night stands, for instance sexual
1: promiscuity is there anything like that in china the world has changed a lot and definitely china it's more and more opened up it's more globalized especially in metropolitans probably the dating culture i'm saying probably because i actually haven't lived there for nine years so a lot of stuff i don't i didn't experience myself so i i heard it from my friends and you do observe these trends that it's being more westernized, even in the dating styles. And ONS is a thing as well in China. It's still not. ONS you know, like means one night stand. Is okay. <laughs> just, for, you know, just for the audiences who are under 18, who doesn't understand ONS.
0: If you're under <laughs> you 18, you that. shouldn't be
1: listening to this. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes, so you do observe these trends and, you know, Hollywood film and movies and it's a big influence, the pop culture in general. So it does influence China a lot as well. So it's different, but you definitely see part of China, especially the part which is globalized and having similar values as what's going on right now.
0: That makes sense. I met you working at a news agency in Berlin. How did you come to work at this news agency? I want to hear more about how you started your career in journalism. Can you tell me about the beginning?
1: After I finished my bachelor's study, which is journalism, then the Global Study master program is more like international relations and political science in that direction. Just also because I just want to be a sports journalism. I want to be in other areas as well. So after some internships in different organizations, including you know European Parliament, I do realize that, okay, my drive and my dream job is still producing content, you know, storytelling, whatever format that is. And a friend of mine happens to work at the news agency before me. And then, so I was a personal referral. That's how I think most of the first <laughs> job worked out. So that's how I got the job and then started to really step into the journalism world here in Europe. And how did you transition
0: from this news agency to being a correspondent for Phoenix TV?
1: I think a lot of things happened because of secure instances and timing. I worked for this agency for about two years and then I wanted something different. So I moved to a different company. But that company didn't play out very well. And also because it's still not really journalism and the content production or you know, writing or TV or anything that I actually wanted to do back then. So I started freelancing. Before I started freelancing, I went on a trip to South America, sort of to give me this time to think about what I really want to do and how to approach it. And also I want to learn Spanish. So I went there. But during the three months, a lot of things involved. And also thanks to the experience in the news agency, I have accumulated quite a bit of contacts in China in the in the media area and they start to give me certain assignments so I was slowly on track and when I came back to Berlin Phoenix TV was looking for a correspondent but on a freelancer base which fits me very well then if you look at it it's actually somehow everything pointed to this position because they need somebody who knows about news, they need somebody who has a journalist background, but they also need somebody who is familiar with international politics. At the same time, they need somebody to speak Chinese, English and German. Also, preferably somebody have been dealing with news footage and TV. So I think it's kind of... Um, Combined most of my previous experience. Made you the ideal candidate. Made me a good candidate. (laughs) So so I got the job eventually. But at the same time, it's still a freelancer base, giving me a flexibility to explore some other projects and uh, to expand my horizons whenever I would like to.
0: What's your day to day life like as a correspondent?
1: I think one of the reasons I love to be freelancer journalist is also about the flexibility and freedom. I'm not saying it's easier because you need a lot of self-discipline and you need to work on deadlines and you need to juggle different balls at times. But it is a flexibility. For example, if I really want to have this morning free and then I might have to work until 2 a.m. at night, but I can't actually take this morning free. It's not really a standardized day-to-day schedule. Every day is a bit different and I can arrange it as I see fit.
0: What's your favorite part about your job?
1: I think the favorite part of my job is I get to ask questions and sometimes stupid questions (laughs) to the very intelligent people that they have to answer. (laughs) I think that she's trying to call
0: my questions stupid. (laughs) I'm just going to pretend I didn't hear that.
1: (laughs) But I mean honestly it is because it gave me the legitimacy to ask questions and to learn so my job is actually to figure out issues and then put them out for people who want to know the issues it gave me the opportunity to learn different subjects that touch upon different areas and actually learn from these experts who are on top of their field so i think that's very interesting and also with some other more investigative or more in-depth projects i get to approach life from a different angle i get to talk to people who i normally in my daily life i probably have no contact with i think all this basically is getting to know the world better getting to know the people better and getting to know of course at the same time myself better is um, the part that i like the most
0: who is the most difficult person you ever interviewed? Can you give us that inside gossip? or
1: That I can. I, that I definitely can. Or let's say the person made a very strong impression, and every time I like to complain, I was hungry about him. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell that one, for example. So this is an American expert, uh, so-called transatlantic relation expert, and uh, we went to interview him about you know, Trump popular topic, and also about the Chinese and American trade war, and if Europeans taking sight. He is a German himself, but he is a transatlantic relationship character, so I thought he has to know English very well. I asked him, do you want to do an interview in English or in German? And he answered, wow, English is fine, you know, showing all the confidence. I said, okay, let's do it. Halfway through, I realized he doesn't really understand my question. (laughs) So he would keep repeating, asking me, and then sort of interrogate me, why do you ask this question? And he would answer, but he didn't really answer my question. So I had to repeat it. And he became super annoyed. He says, why are you trying to repeat the question? Are you trying to frame me? And he said, I know how Chinese media work. I worked with Chinese media before. So I got super angry, of course. like, What do you mean by that? he says you're just trapping me and then he said do not use any of this interview cancel it i don't know i think that was that was also like like several months when i started this position and what one of the first time that i faced discrimination in a professional field he didn't even know that what kind of station our station is and he made that conclusion very bold conclusion and say and said it very loud Later on, my producer told me when we requested the interview, he tried to ask for money. So I think that was quite a shock back then.
0: Do you think he was somehow trying to dodge answering the questions by saying, oh, let's do it in English, and then he couldn't really speak English, and then he was throwing a fit? Do you think he was actually trying to avoid having you ask him in-depth questions, or was he just not
1: that clever? I think he just wasn't very clever. <laughs> I think he was intimidated by some questions, and I think he's also just in confidence of his own English. If I, I would imagine that the whole thing would go a different way if we started the in- interview in German. Maybe not, though. Yeah, maybe. Because maybe it would have
0: been worse. Yeah,
1: I mean, on camera insulting a media that you're accepting the interview and saying that we're trying to frame them frame this person, I think that's a very unclever thing to say. I would agree. That's very unclever. Yeah. I mean I really cannot pick a very like the most because I'm really not good at doing most, no? Like or favorite or this kind of thing. <laughs> um but maybe, because I guess the reason why I'm not good at it is because when you look at a bigger picture I've interviewed several famous people, I've interviewed a handful of quite famous German politicians here and some famous people in China, very rich people, very poor people. If you look at them, all the labels that put on them doesn't really matter at the end. You will have really young experts and knows really so much about their field and so up to date and really make them expert. You have old university professor has so many trophies already in his closet, but he doesn't know a shit what he's talking about. You have really nice politicians really doing their job, trying their best. And these politicians might be from China. You also have politicians no and you have famous people and then you know, oh, they're famous for a reason because they really have it. And they also have famous people, celebrities, and then you interview them and say, God, you have no idea why they're famous.
0: One of the really cool things you've done recently is you worked for FIFA. You went to France to cover the Women's World Cup. How did you get chosen to be the one Chinese journalist who was hired by FIFA to cover this team?
1: I tend to say that I was lucky, which is kind of true, because they needed somebody, again, with a quite specific requirements. They need somebody who is Chinese, so Chinese national, and speaks Chinese native language, and has a sports journalism background, and At the same times have to be able to speak and write English fluently, be able to use the English as an output language, and also preferably based somewhere in Europe, at the same time, understand how international organizations function as FIFA, which put me in a very favorable position, I guess. And uh, this person also has to understand not only how television work because we're embedded in the FIFA TV crew, at the same time needs to know, not only has to know how TV works because we're embedded in a FIFA TV crew, also needs to understand how new media and digital media work because we will run a live blog and also run the Twitter account. I think being able to have that experience in both areas helped me to get the position as well.
0: Did you have to apply for it, or were you offered it? How did you come into contact with
1: FIFA? It's also a referral, because one of the thing I've studied sports universities, a lot of my friends work in this area. I think FIFA also, in at least in this position, they work on that. It's the easiest way to find somebody who fits into the description through a colleague of a colleague of a friend. It's then The quality is more or less guaranteed. What was the experience like? Mm, it was quite amazing, actually. The colleagues I worked with from FIFA are very professional and very driven. And uh, my managers are amazing. They even cover different aspects of managing people. For example, this older lady worked in the team. She's like our mom. She took care of us, not only just logistically, but whenever we face problems, she will be there to consult us. Also, it's a very unique position because you get to follow the team around and report them from 360 degrees to 360 degrees because we also run the life blog, which is under the, the overall arch of FIFA, but with our name on it. And we have the almost 100% editorial permission to publish whatever we want to publish on that Twitter account and also in very innovative ways. We can use GIF, we can use short video, we can use your time-lapse, we can use pictures and they provide us with some basic tools, but we have all the creative tools at hand and the combinations. And what we do is not only to report on football related or the match related topics, but we also get to know the players. We are like in a way a cheerleader for the team as well. So you bring out the good spirit of the team. Another thing I think meant a lot for me is women football has been a sport It's overlooked by the world. I think sports for women in general hasn't been valued enough. I think this year's women football cup is the display of that, and it brought a lot of attention. And combined with maybe also the you know the Me Too movement and then the equal pay movement and everything, so it was this display of female. Spirit and I'm part of it. So and I help to promote it. I think that's also a very good feeling I spoke to
0: you while you were in France and you were filming and you were working there It sounds like it was an exhilarating experience But it was also something you had to give a lot to took a lot of energy. It took a lot of time How much of your time every day did you spend working on this when you were working for FIFA?
1: 16 hours 17 hours sometimes even more because the thing is we have so many different tasks right we have to run the twitter account which is a full-time job already at the same time you have to write articles for feedback.com you have to contribute to this live blog three days beforehand and one day uh, until the match day we are also possibly one of the only person working during the match that representing our country so part of our Language knowledge and our knowledge about our football team is also being needed by other teams from FIFA. So working constantly. And uh, at the same time, you have to follow the team wherever they have to go, and you have to change the city every three or four days. So it's a lot of work for that period of time. Um, Everything of your life is given to that project, basically.
0: It sounds like your rigorous Chinese schooling really prepared you for it. Do you have any advice for somebody who's dreaming of coming to Germany to
1: work as a journalist? As a Chinese, I would say that language skills is very important. Even though today I don't think my language skills will ever be enough English or German because not being able to speak a language as your native language is a big limitation and I'm still experiencing it even though I'm able to carry out my work. So, if you want to be a correspondent in a foreign country, make sure that your language skills are very, very sharp. Of course, I'm also always super jealous with the people who are born bilingual or trilingual.
0: What a like blast! This.
1: What a blast, really. Um, and also, another is always culture awareness. Being able to do good reports is doesn't necessarily mean that you have to live in certain countries. It's a luxury. Not everybody has the opportunity to live in other culture and live in other countries. But if you can't do that, make sure you're open-minded. Make sure you're open to different cultures because only that you will be able to actually embrace this culture. Culture reflects on political system, daily lives, working method, which all of them are very important to. For you to do a good job and uh, some maybe some more practical um, advice is also journalism is a very big topic actually and you really need to know which area you want to focus on do you want to be tv journalist do you want to be print journalist do you want to work for new media do you want to do short videos that's format and also topics do you want to do cultural journalism food travel Film, or do you want to focus on hardcore international news or sports? So that's also the topic. And uh, then again, right now, all the media landscaping is changing so drastically, and a the of new challenges emerge. For example, artificial intelligence, big data, all this are threatening the traditional journalism. If you're starting right now, maybe you want to focus on more cutting-edge technologies you know, including also virtual reality, blockchain, etc. If you're still a university student, maybe you want to think in that direction.
0: Very interesting. What do you think the biggest lesson that you've
1: learned in life so far is? <laughs> I think the biggest lesson is not really learned through one thing. Like it's not one experience that transformed my my life or transformed my understanding of the world but it's so many small sometimes trivial experiences and all of them kind of worked together to give me this realization and lesson is nothing is permanent (laughs) (laughs) maybe for buddhists it's a very old saying already but it is this is a constantly changing world the best way to cope with it is to accept that first and really accept that And so we don't get upset when something changes. One of the most cruel thing is, as human beings, we are craving for the uh, stability. But life would never offer you that. Whatever we crave for, life normally don't offer you that. So we have to fight for it. We have to accept it. And we have to let go sometimes. And I think that's still the The hardest realization and the hardest lesson I'm still learning is to cope with that impermanent and cope with that change that can happen anytime.
0: That's very beautifully said. Thank you. (laughs) What does the future hold for you, Chen?
1: It's always changing, right? So I (laughs) have no idea. (laughs) And um, for example, I would think I am a very active person and I want to do things. And um, at the same time, I would like to balance it more in the future. One of the things that I really want to accomplish this year is I want to go to India and I want to have a yoga teacher certificate. Not necessarily that I want to become a yoga teacher, but I really want to master this skill and knowledge Mm -hmm. and be able to do it properly because I do realize that I love basketball, but yoga is possibly the form of sport that I need the most. To balance my mind and my body, and to be able to slow down if I need to. Other than that, a lot. <laughs> I guess I wouldn't say no to most experiences. I always say that I would do anything once.
0: Where can a listener read more about
1: you? So recently, I were one of the organization I work with is called Host Writer. So they are a cross-border journalism projects. And It's a platform as well and I can recommend freelancer journalists or journalists in general to sign up And we also published a book called unbiased news and I contributed a piece which talk about privacy issues in here in Germany and in China and uh, I basically focused on the article on my experience back then in China and also my experience here in Germany and try to decipher the difference of the Chinese and German society regarding privacy. And I think um, if you're interested in the differences and also this very hitly debated question, privacy, I think that's, I recommend to read the article. So I want to get to the final part
0: of our interview as much as I want it to last forever in this impermanent and changing world. (laughs) (laughs) Craving for that stability. (laughs) What is one book that you recommend everybody read? I get only like... one choice? That's <laughs> so hard! I know you don't like it when I ask you for the most, the only, the favorite, but try to bear
1: with me here. Oh god, only one book? Only one book. Oh god, if I have to make this mischoice, I think that's one of the books that really helped me so much is this book called The Power of Now it's I, quite, I quite famous yes mm-hmm. it's quite famous and why i'm recommending it is not that it's the book um, would it actually suitable for anybody but at least for people who are going through difficult times really read this book and i think it gives you a lot of clarity and also give you a lot of uh, very practical techniques to get over difficulties and also to look at the world from a completely different point of view And it's also a book where you can just put on your nightstand and uh, whenever you feel something, you can read it. It's a book where you can really keep it there. It's not a book where you read it while you're amazed and you can put it aside. It's a book you can always have. So I think I would recommend this one.
0: I would second that
1: recommendation. That's an
0: amazing book. Mm. What is the best thing that you do when you're stressed out? What's your healthy way of managing stress? that you'd recommend others take a look at
1: sleep with somebody (laughs) (laughs) she's kidding (laughs) no i think sports (laughs) i'm i really mean sports for me it's always sports yoga or basketball I, i alternate yeah i alternate through between yoga basketball and swimming and swimming, I think it's also a really interesting sport in the sense of it, first it burns a lot of calories, everybody <laughs> will say that, and also because you're following your wisdom and then it's, you're getting yourself into this meditative state. So I think for me, it's my healthy escape from anxiety, stress, or I'm very sad.
0: And what about one place in the world that you recommend everyone visit if they have the chance?
1: I would say Cusco oh, of course I haven't been to all this place I want to be but I really might recommend Cusco the sacred valley it's such a holy place in a way of there's so many unspeakable spirits there and uh, I think you should definitely be there immersed in this very green and this mountain that's surrounded by the ancient relics And I think it's a very unique place. And on top of that, their food is really good. (laughs) And you see very lovely Yamas walking around.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to put all of those things in the notes from the show, as well as how to get in touch with Chen via her Twitter, if you have follow-up questions for her. Thank you so much for being my guest today, Chen. I love talking to you and I learn so much every time I speak to you.
1: Well, I actually learned a lot from you all the time as well. So again, the pleasure is also mine.
0: Oh, I'm so excited to have someone who's so knowledgeable, so hardworking, so sophisticated, so strong, so adventurous. Oh my God,
1: this is open a long <laughs> No, open up about this. You're really
0: <laughs> an incredible woman and you are the top Chinese journalist in Germany. So thank you so much for the honor of letting me interview you. Oh, Thank you
1: so much as well,
0: Bye. (laughs) Bye.